Welcome to a very special Compassion Radio 360. Good morning, honey. Good morning. I love this time of year. We're trying to bring a bit of tradition back to you this year through our Advent series, but we're also trying to bring something very new to you as well by doing something we've never done before, mm-hmm. and that is to bring dramatic readings, storytelling, into the mix for this season, the Advent, God revealing himself in the lives of some of the characters that are in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. I love the way you bring to life characters in the scripture that we don't normally focus on. They had real emotions. They had real feelings about the situation they were in. That does not mean, though, we're trying to minimize the experience of those who appear in Scripture. All of these stories are God-breathed, and therefore they don't hold to our normal rules. Mm -hmm. They don't have to obey mankind's expectations. He doesn't have to even obey the rules of physics. God (laughs) can do what He wants. And the Bible is a testament to His willingness to enter into the affairs of men. That's what makes it so unique. It's not just a myth. Mm. Something is happening here that is supernatural. We ought to be absorbed into a story of God revealing a great plan, a great love. Mm-hmm. And so these stories we're going to read are about those you may not have thought much about. Before we get into the dramatic reading, we're going to talk a little bit about what we're doing in Advent. Those of you who listened last year will remember we talked about the different symbols of Advent. So last year we described a wreath. Traditionally, a wreath is used to celebrate Advent with candles on it that represent different aspects of the Advent season. And so if you have the wreath and then the candles that go along with it, these are what the candles represent in that wreath. The first candle, which is typically purple, symbolizes hope. It is also sometimes called the prophecy candle in remembrance of the prophets who foretold the birth of Christ. It represents the expectation felt in anticipation of the coming Messiah. The second candle, also purple, represents faith. It's called the Bethlehem candle as a reminder of Mary and Joseph's journey to Bethlehem. The third candle is pink, and it symbolizes joy. It's called the shepherd's candle and is pink because rose is a liturgical color for joy. That's just historical. Mm -hmm. It's meant to remind us of the joy that the world experienced at the birth of Jesus, as well as the joy that the faithful have reached. The fourth week of Advent, we light the final candle purple, and this candle is called the angel's candle, and it symbolizes peace. And it reminds us of the message of the angels, peace on earth, goodwill to men. The white candle in the middle of the wreath is called the Christ candle, and you light that on Christmas Eve. It represents the life of Christ, and the color white is for purity, because Christ is our sinless, pure Savior. And those are the symbols of Advent for the wreath. And white is also the color of holiness. As Christ is finally revealed, His holiness, His purity, all that He is, Mm -hmm. that light, the pure white light has come into the world. Mm -hmm. Before we get going on this, honey, I want to remind our listeners today that this discussion we're having, this guide to Advent, and the stories that will be highlighted in these four weeks are all available on our website. Mm -hmm. Each podcast page has links to those documents, so please take a minute just to visit CompassionRadio.com and this broadcast page, and download your own copy of the Guide to Advent and the stories you'll hear on the broadcasts. 
We'll also have these listed on our Compassion Radio Facebook page, and that's facebook.com slash Compassion Radio. Each of these weeks represents something that's supposed to happen, transpire in our own hearts and preparing for the revelation of the Messiah, right? the perfect Lamb of God. So think about the people and the stories that come to your mind. Who are the actors? And then think about all the other people that are part of the scene that you don't normally think about. This week, the character we're going to highlight is absolutely at the very center of the story in the book of Genesis. I'd like you to read those first 14 verses of this particular story, and then we'll go into our dramatic reading. And we'll share that story with you uninterrupted this morning. Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, God said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering and sacrifice on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took with him two of the young men and his son, Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the sacrificial knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father. Abraham replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham replied, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked along together. When they arrived at the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Then the angel said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to harm him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place, The Lord Will Provide. And so today it is said, It will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Sacrifice, a Christmas story. Isaac's knuckles scraped across the rock, smarting. The burden on his back shifted forward, almost sliding over shoulders and taking his tunic with it. The tip of a rough branch dug into the nape of his neck. Steady, boy, the old man's voice was ragged as he stumbled forward to catch his son from falling face first into the boulder. You don't want to... The voice trailed off into silence. To what, my father? 
Isaac looked back under his arm to Abraham's weathered face. It seemed suddenly drained of color. The first glint of sunrise shone blood red in the patriarch's eye. He didn't answer the boy. No, he's much more the man now, thought Abraham. And for how much longer? He suddenly felt a great urge to grip the boy with all the strength remaining within his right hand, to hold him fast to earth, to anchor him to this rock, and to fight the heavens to keep him. The fading light of the uncountable stars mocked him. We will have him now, they seemed to say. Your multitudes of descendants will light the darkness, but you will never hold them. It still made no sense. It was a rift in the universe. The covenant shattered to be revoked on an altar of betrayal. Yet Yahweh demanded it. Abraham lifted pleading eyes up to those stars, their cold light now swept away in the expanding pool of crimson. His only son rose, occluding the sun, its halo and ember around his head. Oh, God! Isaac was greatly startled and reached back for his father, but couldn't see him round the load of firewood he carried. What is it, father? The old man was weeping now. We're almost there, Abba. Hold my hand. Isaac reached behind him blindly and caught the man's sleeve. He hauled himself the load of wood and his father up over the face of stone. Panting, Isaac finally saw the sunrise. It was stunning. He looked at his father. There was terror, or horror, in his eyes. Father? Abraham brandished his dagger, swinging it up through the cords that bound his son to the wood. They fell in a heap as Isaac swung his head to and fro and rubbed out his sore arms. You look ill, father. I know you haven't slept or eaten in a day, at least. Here, sit. Have some broth. He gently, firmly, lowered the old man into a sitting position. Abraham's arms and legs quaked as his son removed the stopper and held the flask up to his lips. Abraham spat away the swallow. I will not eat or drink again, not until... Abraham again fiercely stared at his son. Such a pleading, desperate expression Isaac had never seen before on that face, usually so calm and starry-eyed. Isaac didn't know what to say. He looked to the four points of the compass, expecting to see Lemuel approaching with the other herdsmen, as they would usually lead the choice ram. Isaac knew his role as keeper of the flame. The father to sacrifice, the son to consume the offering, and together to worship. Y-H-W-H. Isaac continued to look around confused. There were no other camps, sounds, or signs of any approaching sacrifice. Something was amiss. He knelt down close to the patriarch's face. He was whispering, muttering. What was it? Isaac leaned his ear close to the old man's lips. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe. Repeat. Breathe. Repeat. Was his father failing, or just in another one of his spells? Isaac held his father's face and brought it up to his. He held their noses together. Abraham continued to breathe the name on his son. 
Something was happening deep within the man. Isaac could feel the energy welling up within him like a boiling geyser. Where is the sacrifice, my father? If you're unable to. At the word sacrifice, Abraham shuddered again. Where is the sacrifice? Abraham broke free and jumped up, startled. Jehovah Jireh! Abraham cried out at the sky now devoid of stars. Yes, my father, God provides every sacrifice, but but where is this one? Abraham suddenly swung up the knife in a flash, the unmatched Damascus steel, dull in part and gleaming in others, reflected the sun's rays in stripes of carmine. He held it high, pointing the tapered tip down at his own heart. His arm flinched as if to strike. No, my father, you must not! The man froze and cracked slowly and sank to the stone, an ocean of sorrow. I know, my son, my son, my son, I know I must not. I must give him the sacrifice he requires. Now the tears would not stop and mingled with snot flowing down the long white beard. Then how do I help you, my father? Isaac felt an unexpected, deep grief, the kind reserved for death. He felt as if he were losing his father, as if he were evaporating before him. It was a horrid betrayal of fellowship and trust. What was stealing his father from him? Yahweh, help me help him! Abraham rocked on his knees, the butt of his glorious knife pressed into his own forehead. The rock below Isaac's feet began to solidify below him, in him, and through him. Somehow he was becoming the altar and the sacrifice all at once. He marveled at this transformation. He began to see time itself passing over him like the mighty Jordan. Walls rose up and crumbled around him. Oceans of whispers and shouts swarmed around him, trailing behind their ghosts. Mighty palaces and temples encompassed him and fell away or were consumed in torrents of flame. Even the mountains around him trembled in mighty quakes and split, shedding fresh water from ancient depths. Then all grew silent. Isaac found his arms raised as a mighty oak in worship, and the sun passed before him, his long branches bowing to the one in the likeness of a man, a god that somehow enveloped within him his father Abraham. Isaac knelt in surrender. Bind the sacrifice, my father, as he requires. I am prepared. Somehow the old man rose to the task with the cut cords in hand, binding the son's feet and wrists. Isaac remained still, submissive, surrounded by the tinder of burnt offering. Every sinew of his body tensed like bowstring, ready to fire. He raised his eyes to his father, who seemed to withdraw into the center of the great Melchizedek, that priest of life and death, beginnings and ends, and new beginnings. The great knife was raised and wrapped in light. A bolt, a flaming arrow. Isaac willingly raised his soul to surrender, to submit to the coming blow. 
A clap of thunder and thunderous voice struck them both flat. Isaac heard steel clattering and singing off the stone near his head as the blow fell. A bolt far stronger than any steel blew straight into his soul. He watched as it divided his muscle and sinew into a thousand, a million, a million of millions of souls. It carved the marrow from his bones and bore the blood into a billion new hearts. He followed it as it pierced the heart of every cell and wrote the name in every scroll hidden within. Repetitions of those holy letters dancing around themselves in a ladder anchored in heaven and earth. Names from the name written in sequence to be revealed in their generations. The names of his sons and daughters yet to be born. Revealed within him in every cell of his frame. Down they descended, names foreign and familiar, dancing to the song of their times. Prophets, farmers, shepherds, warriors, kings. The shards of Isaac fell slain and pulled through the very earth in the turbulent wake of the bolt. It launched them through the far side of the planet into night and orbit to rest among the stars until their time. He followed the bolt's hidden, mysterious ellipse, great loops of gravity. He fell again to earth, splitting kingdoms to the south and sundering seas to the east. The bolt of Isaac swung again by the earth to witness great battles, dragging the frame of daylight to lengthen its shadow until the battle could finish. Isaac could hear the roars of his descendants' triumph in the wake of his star. He followed another great orbit as it skimmed the earth from below, breaking its rotation and torquing the whole world in its course. He witnessed the shadows of another day reverse their course and resume up the steps of a great palace. The bolt and Isaac returned, sweeping the shadow of holy light across kingdoms where the name in Isaac sojourned, blasting the words of the Most High on the walls of empire holding his children captive. In every descent, the star of Isaac showered the dust of the names, each generation pouring forth from him and scattering across the earth. He fell again to a light on a shepherd boy, an anointing eternal. A double trinity of starry points carried the name up into Isaac's cloud, the name of his son, a king, David. Isaac and the star of David rose again, from far beyond the orbit of omens, the double star of Isaac and David sojourned, waiting, biding their time. And then they fell again. Another ephemeral city stood below the star, and within it the seed of this chosen king of David's line. Mighty, eternal, and righteous to save the nations. A Magnificat arose from angels and shepherds at the revealing of a new Melchizedek, born within the earth, to a virgin, a tune they learned from the maiden they attended. This newborn, a lamb, an offering to Yahweh, a gift to the flocks. The sound of trilling thrums continued, multitudes of other angels rushing to see what had come through Isaac and his son, the king. The star of Isaac and David collided with the earth, piercing a cave, a stall, then the heart of a baby. It continued its rush through the earth into another great ark, 
Isaac and his kingly son flew again from earth. They fell again, gaining speed. The sacrificial bolt. Isaac and David together swept up the multitude of stars behind them as they all fell at last, and finally upon the very spot where the vision began. The bolt struck wood and nails and flesh and bone. Isaac's mind collided with this final sacrifice, his shattered soul and a billion shards of stars scattering across the ground. Slowly, some strange magnetism gathered him back together, piece by piece, name by name, soul by soul, the future seed of that starry host. Isaac was whole once more, consumed and resurrected upon the altar. Slowly, his consciousness returned to his own temple, and he gazed upon the unbloodied steel lying next to his father. The bolt was spent, and there was no more. Isaac could hear the rustle, a struggling ram in the thicket below him. He looked down at his father, still prostrate before him. He lowered his hands, still bound to his father's neck, and he kissed his head. The Lord has provided, my father. Arise. With only tears to speak the words of gratitude, they celebrated life and the promise of it. The ram, a sacrifice, and symbol, and feast. Isaac led his father down the mountain to find the place where the ultimate sacrifice would ultimately lay, cradled in a mother's arms. A girl, one of Isaac's own daughters. And there Isaac and Abraham finished their worship in the fading light of day. They arose eventually to journey home under a sweep of stars, uncountable. Coming out of this story brings up so many emotions for me. I don't think I ever thought about Isaac feeling the weight of his responsibility in this story and being a willing sacrifice because we read in Scripture, Abraham laid Isaac on the altar. Well, by this point in Scripture, we believe that Isaac was a grown man. So he had to be a willing participant in this because he could have obviously overpowered his father. Well, overpowering is at the heart of the way I wrote the story. Mm -hmm. There's an overpowering sense of God's presence. Mm -hmm. Something is beginning because of the commitment that Abraham makes and that Isaac makes on that altar mm -hmm. that I think truly could only have come about by a miracle of God within their hearts. Mm -hmm. The raw emotion of this story is so poignant to me. There's a lot of emotion that both of these men are experiencing. These men are going through some deep, gut-wrenching, passionate feelings. And for each other, too. Exactly. And for the world that they're envisioning. I love that Isaac is looking across the ages and seeing what God has in store in just brief snips of video in his mind, if you will. It reminds me again, the humanity of these people in scripture. It's so important that we look at them as human. Yes, God does supernatural things 
in them and through them, but they are human. Well, every story of transformation in the Bible demonstrates to us that we step into our true humanity Mm -hmm. when we step back close to our divinity, Mm -hmm. the kind of specialness that God intended for mankind. We lose it. We abandon it. We debase ourselves as we go away from him. Mm. Coming close to him, you can't escape the image of God that he stamped on your soul when he created you. Mm. And that's what these stories are meant to do, honey. The reality of God's presence in that story. And hope, friends, that you enjoyed it, but more than that, are being inspired to think, how do I fit in the story of Advent? What is God renewing and beginning in me this year, especially in a year that seems to be all about endings? Mm pausing and waiting for something to happen. At least we understand the waiting part. Mm -hmm. In the season of waiting in the world, it's just as electric, wanting a solution, wanting salvation, as it was for the people looking forward to the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Can we not do that in the situation we find ourselves in? Mm. This year, I think it's more important than ever that we find ourselves in God's story. Mm -hmm. So friends... Stop by our website, CompassionRadio.com, and look for our stories and our guide to Advent that's right there in the broadcast page. We'll see you again for the next episode of our special Advent series. Our ambition is simply this, provide you with real, life-changing teaching and opportunities for changing lives around the projects. It can't happen without you, so I ask, even if you've never done it before, would you help us? Your gift today is vitally important. Here's how to reach us. Our toll-free phone number is 1-800-2478. That's 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. And our website is com. However you decide to reach out and join us with your prayers and financial gifts, please know that we are deeply grateful for the support and partnership.